0: Hey guys, and welcome to a new episode. This is your host, Mohammed. Today, we'll kick it up with a physics question. What factors represent acquisition time for a standard spin echo pulse sequence? Three factors, TR, phase encoding steps, and the number of averages multiplication of all these factors will give us the acquisition time. Again, TR stands for repetition time, which is the time between uh, one pulse and another pulse. Phase encoding step phase encoding steps basically determine the specific row of case spaces that, f- that is to be filled, and then each phase encoding step requires a separate 90 and 180 degree pulses for spin echo sequence. Again, the number of phase encoding steps determine the specific row of the case space to be filled, and that is basically filling the matrix. Finally, NEX or the number of averages or number of excitations this represent the number of times each line of k space data is acquired again NEX represent the number of times that each line of k space data is acquired To repeat this again for a regular not a fast spin echo for a standard spin echo pulse sequence the acquisition time depends on repetition time number of phase encoding steps and number of averages number of averages sometimes is referred to as nex or nex which stands for number of excitations again number of excitations represent the number of times that each line of the case space data is acquired for fast spin echo not standard spin echo or fast gradient echo sequence, what we do is we, do, we perform more than one phase encoding step for each repetition time. So within each repetition time, we perform more than one encoding steps, and that's how we are able to get the scan in a faster time. That's why it's called fast spin echo or fast gradient echo. Again, for spin echo sequence, each phase encoding step for standard would require separate 90 and 180 degree pulses. Order of ocular muscle hypertrophy involved in thyroid associated orbitopathy. Again, in thyroid associated orbitopathy, what are the number or the frequency of muscle involved? The monic for it is I am slow, I am S L O. So the most frequently involved muscle is the inferior oblique. Second most frequent is M medial. And then superior lateral and o in slow slo is the oblique muscle again inferior medial i think i said inferior oblique sorry i'm wrong it's inferior muscle medial superior lateral and oblique muscles this is the order and the mnemonic for it i am i comma m slow slo i am slow inferior medial superior lateral and oblique muscles if you read a question describing a 14 year old with epistaxis what's the diagnosis Diagnosis is juvenile, nasopharyngeal, angiofibroma. Again, 14-year-old with epistaxis, juvenile, nasopharyngeal, angiofibroma. If you have a patient who has bilateral schwannoma and multiple ependymomas, what are you thinking of? You're thinking of neurofibromatosis type 2, which is automo- autosomal dominant. And the mnemonic, if you remember from a couple episodes back, we said the mnemonic for neurofibromatosis type 2 is Me 2 Me is mon- multiple schwannomas, ependymomas, and meningiomas. What structures make up the basal ganglia? Basal ganglia is made up of five structures, subthalamic nucleus, substantia nigra, globus pallidus, putamen, and caudate nucleus. Again, basal ganglia is made up of five structures, the subthalamic nucleus, substantia nigra, globus pallidus, putamen and caudate nucleus. The word striatum refers to the putamen and the caudate. The lentiform nucleus refers to the putamen and globus pallidus. Again, lentiform nucleus refers to the putamen and globus pallidus and striatum refers to the putamen and the caudate. What findings are associated with, for example, left recurrent laryngeal nerve palsy, can be the right, but we'll focus on the left. This way we're all consistent with what we see. Remember we described the structures of the hypopharynx a couple episodes back. We said we have the aeropoglottic folds and the periform fossa. With recurrent laryngeal nerve palsy, what we get, we get distention of the ipsilateral periform fossa with air and thickened ipsilateral aryepiglottic fold because that muscle is relaxed. Again, for recurrent laryngeal nerve palsy, we get distension of the epsilateral periform fossa with air and thickened with medial rotation of the area epiglottic fold. To repeat it one more time the structures of the hypopharynx we said we got the follicular anterior to the epiglottis and then on the both sides of the epiglottis inferior to the follicular we have the periform fossa and the area epiglottic folds are the fold at the side of the epiglottis. Tarlov cyst or perineural cyst which levels is it located at it's commonly located in the sacrum but in terms of the dural layers it is located between the arachnoid and the pia so it's between the pia and the arachnoid is where we get the perineural cyst or the tarlov cyst question from couple of minutes ago, what structures make up the lentiform nucleus? It's made up from the putamen laterally and globus pallidus medially. They might ask that in terms of, you know, an arrow or point to the structure. Again, lentiform nucleus made up of the putamen, which is lateral, and the globus pallidus, which is medial. What is Kummel's disease? This is a delayed post-traumatic collapse of a vertebral body occurring weeks to months after injury. Again, Camille's disease is a delayed post-traumatic collapse of vertebral body occurring weeks to months after injury. What are common causes for Camille's disease? Typically, osteonecrosis due to uh, trauma, neurologic or uh, vasogenic or exogenous steroids. So osteonecrosis, whatever causes osteonecrosis can lead to Camille's disease. We have a post-contrast MRI at the level of the orbits, which shows tubular fusiform enlargement of the intraorbital optic nerve with avid enhancement. Again, tubular fusiform enlargement and avid enhancement of the optic nerve. This is consistent with optic nerve glioma. Again, optic nerve glioma. Obviously, it's very hard sometimes to uh, describe imaging finding on a podcast, so please make sure when I describe something to make sure you correlate with an image so you can get what I'm talking about. Because if I had said, you know, a tram track appearance around the optic nerve or something like that, uh, this can lead to something else. Uh, so, you know, be very careful when, when you hear me describe something, make sure that you look up an imaging for it. What is CPAM or congenital pulmonary airway malformation? This is a hammer tamus proliferation of the terminal bronchioles and because it's a hamartemus proliferation it does communicate with the bronchial tree and it is supplied by normal pulmonary circuit. This is in comparison to pulmonary sequestration which is supplied by systemic uh, blood supply or the blood supply would come from the aorta not the pulmonary artery. Prognosis of CPAM depends on the size of the lesion not the classification. In a prior episode we talked about the classification 034. The additional complication or why it would require surgery is mass effect which make it prone to infection that's why we would remove it as it can cause mass effect and be a nidus for recurrent infections common imaging features of vestibular schwannoma or acoustic neuroma. We said it occurs at the course of the eighth cranial nerve within the internal auditory canal at the cerebellopontine angle. If there are multiple schwannomas, we said just initially in this episode, this is associated with neurofibromatosis type 2, which is meningiomas, ependymomas, and schwannomas. And finally, it will demonstrate homogeneous enhancement on MRI. Again, enhances occurs at cerebral angle at the course of the eighth cranial nerve. What is the differential for a cystic lesion in the anterior neck? I'm not looking for exact diagnosis. What I'm looking for is knowing what are the common cystic structures in the anterior neck. Commonly we have five things a submandibular or sublingual abscess. We can have a malignant delphian chain lymph node, a laryngocele, a bronchial cleft cyst, and a thyroglossal duct cyst. We will talk about more details later about which one and how to differentiate them but to summarize in abscess a malignant lymph node a laryngocele a bronchial cleft cyst and a thyroglossal duct cyst manifestation of treacher collins syndrome this is an autosomal dominant inherited disease with craniofacial abnormalities or deformities which involve the ears, eyes, cheekbones and jaw these people all have normal intelligence so it's just malformation in the craniofacial structures otherwise they have normal intelligence if you ever watched the movie wonder it talks about a kid with that deformity it's a pretty good movie uh, again treacher collins syndrome normal intelligence craniofacial uh, abnormalities if we see extension of the left anterior f- air filled laterally in the infrahyoid region what is the differential again so what we're talking about is that the follicular is enlarged and it extends laterally in the infrahyoid lesion and it's filled with air this is a laryngeal seal and it can otherwise sometimes be called a lateral sacular cyst but a and commonly or classically in the books is seen in glass blowers. Again, laryngeal seal is basically dilation of the velicula laterally where it pouches and it's filled with air and seen in glass blowers. A benign neurogenic neuroplasm arising of the sympathetic ganglia. This is a ganglo- ganglioneuroma. A paraspinal ganglioneuroma can be seen in the paravertebral sympathetic chain in the posterior mediastinum, retroperitoneum, and less often in the adrenal gland or neck. Again, in in questions, they would display a vertically oriented paravertebral mass, typically on a chest x-ray that is located in the posterior mediastinum, and they would ask you what is the differential or what's the diagnosis, and Everything else is a random or an anterior mediastinal mass except a ganglioneuroma or a paraspinal ganglioneuroma. And from x-ray, you need to know that the lesion that they're showing you is in the posterior mediastinum because it's above the clavicle. And based on that, the diagnosis would be ganglioneuroma. Again, a ganglioneuroma is a benign neurogenic mass arising of the sympathetic ganglia. Most commonly creation is the posterior mediastinum followed by retroperitoneum. What is the differential for a pancreatic head mass without ductal dilation? Obviously here, what we're referring to is not an adenocarcinoma because we know in pancreatic adenocarcinoma, we get the double duct sign, which is pathognomonic for pancreatic adenocarcinoma. Now, if you have a pancreatic head mass that is not causing ductal dilation, what is the differential? First thing that comes to my mind is lymphoma because lymphoma does not cause mass effect. So no obstruction, um, autoimmune pancreatitis or a groove pancreatitis depend on the location we can have a cystic pancreatic tumor or neuroendocrine tumor the difference between those is enhancement neuroendocrine tumor typically enhances and finally we can have a gest tumor in the duodenum that would appear as a pancreatic mass and metastasis obviously again Double duct sign is associated with pancreatic adenocarcinoma. If we do not have ductal dilation, then the differential can include autoimmune or groove pancreatitis, a cystic or neuroendocrine uh, tumor, gist, uh, or a lymphoma significance of appendicolith in the setting of acute appendicitis. So appendicolith or a stone in the appendix is a strong productor of appendix perforation now this is only in the setting of appendicitis commonly we see them in a normal patient without any signs of appendicitis those are benign if you have a a stone or appendicolith in the appendix in the setting of appendicitis then this is a predictor for appendix perforation because it's obstructing the appendix and all the inflammatory secretions or inflammation or pus is not going to go into the cecum rather it's going to explode the appendix ultrasound features consistent with portal venous gas. We can have tiny echogenic foci in the hepatic parenchyma, and we know gas is extremely echogenic, and so you'll have on grayscale ultrasound, you'll have a lot of echogenic foci. On duplex, what we see, we see vertical bidirectional spikes in the portal waveform, and this represents gas bubbles passing through the portal vein. Again, By directional vertical spikes is consistent with portal venous gas. Obviously, in X-ray, we see intrahepatic uh, gas that is peripheral in the hepatic lobe, so in the periphery as opposed to central. If you start seeing central gas, then it's gas within the biliary tree, and check for a recent sphincterotomy or stent or recent endoscopy procedure. If the gas on x-ray is peripheral, then it is consistent with portal venous gas. This is a rare case, but we'll talk about it. They give you an MRI and show you that there is enhancement of the anterior nerve roots, and the posterior nerve roots are unremarkable, and they'll mention some kind of gradual onset of lower extremity weakness. What they're trying to get you to say is this is a Guillain-Barre syndrome or polio-like variant. Again, on MRI, they'll show that there is anterior nerve root enhancement and the posterior nerve roots are non-enhancing and describe some kind of motor weakness in the lower extremity that is gradual in onset. And the diagnosis they're trying to get at is Guillain-Barre or uh, polio-like variant disease. So hopefully I'm going to be able to create a physics podcast if time allows me, but uh, I'll review physics here and there whenever I can. And let's do a couple of nuclear medicine questions. If I end up doing a physics podcast, I will include everything, anything physics related in that podcast. Now let's get back to the question. What are the energy level for gallium-67? energy levels are 90 190 290 and 390 again gallium 67 energy levels are four levels or four peaks of energy 90 190 290 and 390 indium 111 has two peaks it has 173 or assume 170 and 247 or 250 it's easier to remember again 173 and what 247 for indium-111 for thallium thallium is typically used for myocardial perfusion not used anymore it's a very old agent it has two different levels it has 69 and 81 very very weak and fluorine which is a pit agent it is 511 let's do this one more time gallium 67 90 190 to 90, indium-111 173 and 247 Thallium is 69 and 81 and fluorine is 511. All right. Thank you guys and have a good night.